Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. Well, thank you for joining us as we uh, celebrate the birthday of all Christians, that is, His resurrection. It's not something we want to just celebrate once a year or a day on the calendar. It's literally something that we participate in. Paul says, I want to know you. He says, I want to know you more deeply and intimately. I want to know you in the power of your resurrection. And that is the way we want to know him. Not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit of God, where the power of the resurrection is afforded us. He has given us life where before we only had death. He has given us hope where we only had despair. He has given us eternal security where we were only destined for separation from God. We owe him all. And the greatest gift he ever gave us was his resurrection life that infills us, that animates us to be all that he created man to be, to live to our created purpose, to allow the Spirit of God to become the Word, become flesh through each and every man, woman, and child that's born again through Christ Jesus. You know, Peter preached the very first resurrection message. It's recorded in Acts chapter 2. However, just before he preached that message, he and the other disciples were actually hiding behind locked doors for fear of the Jews. And they were hiding from the very crowd that Peter went out to preach to. And now he's standing in front of them. And he's boldly declaring to them that this same Jesus that they had put to death is now the resurrected Savior. Acts chapter 2 verses 32 through 36 reads, God raised this Jesus bodily from the dead. And of that fact we are all witnesses. Therefore... Having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this blessing which you both see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, yet he himself says, The Lord, the Father, said to my Lord, the Son, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel recognize beyond all doubt that God has made him both Lord and Christ, Messiah, anointed, this Jesus whom you crucified. Peter, along with the others, received life from the Spirit of God at Pentecost. Prior to that, they only knew Jesus as a prophet, as a teacher even as someone who has come from God. They loved Jesus. 
But that love didn't keep them from denying him or forsaking him upon his arrest. Jesus told them that this would happen. In Matthew chapter 26, verses 31 through 35, it reads, Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night, disillusioned about me, confused, and some of even ashamed of me. For it is written in Scripture, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised to life, I will go ahead of you, leading the way to Galilee. Peter, who I identify with, Peter replied, Though they all fall away because of you, and doubt and disown you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, I assure you, and most solemnly say to you this night, before a rooster crows, you will completely deny me three times. Peter said to Jesus, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing. They believed their love and their tenacity of that love would hold them to him. They believed this from the toes up, that they would never fail or betray him. But all of it suddenly vanished like a vapor in the face of fear. Their love was temporal. It was no longer the momentum of their souls. It could no longer be secured by his physical presence. They came to realize that what they thought was faith was secured by his companionship. What they thought was hope was secured by the visible Jesus. Their confidence was in the Jesus who visibly overcame the obstacles of life. You know, as they entered the garden, Jesus seemed weak and defeated. Yet when he returned from this time of prayer, he seemed resolute and renewed with strength. In the garden, Jesus surrendered his will and his body in one declaration, Thy will be done. Then he awoke his sleeping apostles, and as Isaiah prophesies, he surrendered himself to be persecuted. Isaiah chapter 50, verses 6 through 7, it reads, I gave my back to those who strike me, and my cheeks to those who pluck out my beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting, for the Lord helps me. Therefore, I am not disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. As Jesus was being led away by his betrayer and those men who had accompanied him, the disciples watched in disbelief. In the hours that followed, they would each, in their own way, betray him. They could not see God's plan for his death. They were blinded by their fear and disappointment. In their despair, they had no expectation of a resurrection, of being united with him in an intimate, unbreakable union that would seem totally improbable and possible at this point. What could possibly take them from the depths of their despair and hopelessness? 
What could possibly deliver them from debilitating fear? Well, it seemed like they'd lost everything. Everything that they believed in, everything that they had hoped for, all that they had trusted in seemed to abandon them. Then it was coupled with their guilt, the guilt of their own treachery. They had very little hope of deliverance. Perhaps they'd forgotten the scene at Lazarus' tomb. Perhaps they did not hear Jesus' words to Martha. In John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in, adheres to, trusts in, relies on me as Savior will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me as Savior will never die. Do you believe this? If he had asked his disciples, do you think they would have said yes? Would they have answered, we believe? Jesus says this in response to Martha, who believed that because Jesus was late in his arrival, Lazarus, her brother, had lost his only hope for life. What Jesus is telling her is this. True life is not in the body. Jesus is saying, I am the giver of life. I am life. What Jesus demonstrated in the raising of Lazarus was the restoration of physical life. The Greek word there for physical is the word bios. What he then declares to Martha is, I am the resurrection and the life. And the Greek word he uses there for life is zoe, which is spiritual life. What he is saying is you can't have spiritual life apart from me. Jesus had power over physical life even before the cross. His resurrection is not illustrating his victory over physical death. When our Lord was resurrected, his old physical body was not restored. It was transformed into a new spiritual body, the first of its kind. What was birthed through the resurrection was a spiritual union between the humanity of man and the divinity of God. Jesus himself became the first new creation. Jesus was the firstborn, the new Adam, the beginning for us as new creations in Christ. Romans eight twenty nine reads, For those whom he foreknew, he loved and chose beforehand. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, and ultimately shared his complete sanctification so that he would be the firstborn, the most beloved and honored among believers. We shared as believers in his sanctification. How great was that? Most Easter celebrations will begin with talking about the cross, but we see the need to discuss the truth of the cross and the truth of the resurrection. We need to see that for Christians, the cross was an instrument that marked the end of sin and death 
and the reign of sin and the end of slavery to the flesh. The end of condemnation and separation from God. Yes, it was the place where our Lord died and suffered. But for him, it was not just a Roman execution. It was an altar on which Jesus, the Passover lamb, laid down his life and put an end to man having to live in separation from God. The cross is where we died with Christ. We died with him. And what died with him was our life that was eternally separated from God. Our lives before Christ, before we had received him, had only one purpose, and that is to illustrate man's need for a Savior. Romans 6.10 says, For the death that he died, he died to sin, ending its power, and paying the sinner's debt once and for all. And the life that he lives, he lives to glorify God in unbroken fellowship with him. For the believer, the life that died with Christ was the old godless life that did not and could not know truth. And as a resort, was distorted in all its perceptions. It was a life that was hopelessly self-centered and did not have the capacity to love anything or anyone more than it loved itself. Romans 6.6, 6, Paul writes, We know that our old unrenewed self was nailed to the cross with him in order that our body, which is the instrument of sin, might be made ineffective and inactive for evil, and we might no longer be slaves to sin. Galatians 2.20, a verse I love to read, and I read quite often. I have been crucified with Christ. That is, in him I have shared his crucifixion. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith, by adhering to, relying on, and completely trusting in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. The cross is the symbol of life for the Christian, the place where Jesus declared our liberty. The marks of death that man inflicted on his body would become the evidence of resurrected life. In John chapter 20, verse 27, Jesus is speaking. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger and see my hands, and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but stop doubting and believe. Do you hear the pleading? Stop doubting and believe. Stop being distracted by what you feel. Stop being distracted by what you see. Stop being distracted by the desperation of your soul. And allow yourself to see your Savior for who He is. The resurrected Lord. The truth of life. He did not show His scars to His disciples to prove that He suffered. They knew that. Most of them had watched it. He showed His scars to prove that He was victorious over the grave. That evidence that Christ had a life that no grave could hold. Jesus showed them that his life overcame sin 
That his life overcame suffering. That his life overcame death. That his life overcame the separation between God and man. We do not need to be held captive by sin that sentenced us to death. We can live in the liberty of the resurrection life that has been given us. Beyond all hope, life came from death. With the resurrection, the stone was rolled away from the disciples' entombed faith. The Spirit of God called them forth to receive His life. And by His life they were born again. And those who were quivering behind locked doors, those who were hiding, stepped out in the midst of the very persons they feared most and declared the first resurrection message. They were no longer daunted because they had a life that could not be diminished. They had a strength that enabled them beyond their body. They had a conviction that had the power of heaven behind it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 19 through 20. If we who are abiding in Christ have hoped in this life, and this is all there is, then we are of all people most miserable and to be pitied. But now as things really are, Christ has in fact been raised from the dead and he became the first fruits. That is the first to be resurrected. An incorruptible, immortal body foreshadowing the resurrection of those who have fallen asleep in death. I rejoice with you that our Savior is alive. Unfortunately, knowing he is alive and hoping in the resurrection as a future event will give you no hope for the crisis of today. It will not deliver you from fear or despair. I know a lot of Christians who will confess that they believe. They believe he is alive. They believe he is risen. But they have no intimacy with him. They live like he never left the tomb. Their relationship is based on what he did, not on who he is. The empty tomb reveals far more than just he is alive. We have been called out of that tomb. In the tomb we were bound by the flesh which was our grave clothes, the grave clothes of sinful men. Our putrefaction was evident. We had the aroma of death about us and it permeated all that we sought to gather unto ourselves. In the book of John, we have record in brief of some of the events that actually followed Christ's death. John 20, verses 11 through 14. But Mary, who had returned, was standing outside the tomb, sobbing. And so as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting there, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said to her, Woman, why are you crying? She told them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. After saying that, she turned and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know it was Jesus. Have you ever wondered why there were two angels? Couldn't have one just delivered the message? Couldn't he have made the same point? 
Well, that would be true if the only point was that he was no longer in the tomb. Do you remember the Ark of the Covenant? If you watched Indiana Jones, I'm sure you have some recollection. The Ark that God had instructed Moses to, con- to put together. And where God said he would actually meet with Moses. Let me read that to you. It's in Exodus 25. Exodus 25, verses 18 through 22, and God instructs Moses this, and he says, You shall make two cherubim, winged angelic figures, of solid hammered gold at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at each end, and making the cherubim of one piece with the mercy seat at its two ends. The cherubim shall have their wings spread upward, covering the mercy seat with their wings and facing each other. The faces of the cherubim are to be looking downward toward the mercy seat. You shall put the mercy seat on the top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony which I will give you. There I will meet with you. From above the mercy seat... From between the two cherubim, which are on the ark of the testimony, and I will speak with you intimately regarding every commandment that I will give for you, for the Israelites. What do you think the Father's illustrating in that? What do you believe that He is telling us? Jesus, our high priest, has made the final atonement for us, and now serves before the throne, sharing an intimate communion with us as believers. Where the resurrection took place, a new communion with God began. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. But you were washed by the atoning sacrifice of Christ. You were sanctified, set apart for God, and made holy. You were justified, declared free of guilt. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the Holy Spirit of God, the source of the believer's new life and changed behavior. It is in the life of the resurrected Lord that we are justified, made upright, and brought into intimacy with God. Yes, the tomb is empty, but he is not just alive. He's our way of living. He is our truth of living. And in intimacy, we are living with him. Jesus was brought as a lamb to slaughter, yet he is the good shepherd. Jesus died, yet by his death, He destroyed the power of death. If you have not been born again, and if you've become aware of your need for a Savior and want to live in such a life, pray this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner in need of God's forgiveness. By faith, I choose to believe that you, Lord Jesus, died to pay for my sins and were resurrected from the dead to give me a new life. I am by faith asking you for the forgiveness of all the sin of my life, that I may be yours for eternity. 
Thank you for saving me. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, you are now a new creation. You are now living in resurrected life. Own it. Believe it. Embrace it. Celebrate it. This is your day. But make it the first day of the rest of your life. That you will live for eternity. Walking in communion with your Savior. Ever accepted by Him. Never rejected by God. Entering into an inheritance that cannot be estimated. Living in the fullness of all that He has promised. Knowing the glory that only God can bestow on such a life. That is who you are. Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road and Blanco Woods, just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006.